And for more, we join on the line now by Nadir Token, analyst at 274 Investment Managers. Good morning, Nadir. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your listeners. And uh, just a quick one on uh, the platinum price. Uh, That's seriously sliding, serious concerns there? Yeah, you know, we, we continue to see the market oversupplied, you know. So um, we're seeing it oversupplied by about 300 or, or about 500,000 ounces a year over the next three years. Um, so unless we see significant demand coming into the market, you know, I think that's going to persist, which is uh, fairly disappointing for the South African economy, obviously, given that we're the largest producer of platinum. Um, but, you know, we don't really see any major sources of demand or any tailwinds for demand coming through. You know, we know that uh, Chinese jewelry demand is slipping. We know that uh, the auto, the, the auto catalyst industry, it's, the, the, the future of diesel auto catalyst is very, very uncertain. So we don't know whether that's going to require more or less platinum. But for the time being, um, you know, that's certainly placing a dampener on sentiment, particularly uh, when investor confidence is as brittle as it is. So you know, we don't see any major tailwinds for demand, and unfortunately, supply continues to be pumped out. You know, we mentioned it yesterday, but Lonman, uh, you, you know. They're very very desperate uh, rights issue at one penny a share, you know, to raise $400 million, um, you know, to to show up their balance sheets and to continue operating. That means that Lonman's going to continue to bring around 700,000 ounces of platinum to the market a year. Um, And that that, that supply, which desperately needed to be taken offline if the platinum price was going to see any recovery. So, you know, unless we see a major improvement in, in, in global growth and China continues to surprise on the upside and we start and we see the shift to consumption from China sort of starting to accelerate um, you know unfortunately there seems to be some headwinds for the platinum price but uh, you know there could be a, supply, a surprise rally just because um, you know it's taken such a battering and, and, and investor sentiment has been so poor so you know we could see a bit of a bounce from, the, from these lows of $850 an ounce this is undoubtedly the lowest level since the global financial crisis so you know um, if we, we could see a technical rally from this point but fundament, the fundamentals for the metal don't look great at the moment. And then, um, Nadir, let's also just talk about that big pharmaceutical merger. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a monster-sized deal, isn't it, between Allergen and Pfizer. Um, the total value of the deal, though, so Pfizer is, uh, is, is, buying, is technically buying Allergen, but it's been structured as a reverse takeover, um, you know, to prevent tax consequences in the U.S. where Allergen is taking over Pfizer. But the, the value of the deal is $160 billion. It's the second biggest merger in history. Um, you know, and if we thought the AB InBev and SAB Miller deal was big, this dwarfs that deal uh, coming in at around 60% bigger than that deal. It's going to create a pharmaceutical conglomerate which is going to have about $65 billion in, in, in annual revenue, um, although we're only going to see the real impact on, uh, uh, on Pfizer's earnings in the 2018 financial year when, uh, you know, Allergen's portion comes online, and then analysts expect that, uh, you know, the combined entity will be able to grow its earnings at around 10% a year from the 2019 financial year onwards. But there's also a lot of confusion and, and, and mystery surrounding the deal, Sakina, because uh, there's a lot of talk about Pfizer splitting up their business into two units because uh, the majority of their elderly care medication uh, has been coming under severe strain because generic drug makers have been coming in um, and, you know, reducing the costs of some of these drugs by, signi- by significant amounts, which has put margin pressure on Pfizer. 
So there's been a lot of talk that there's going to be a split in the in in, in the business into two into two separate businesses. One um, elderly care sort of medication that's going to compete with the generics, and one more sort of sophisticated, innovative drug uh, drug research and development. Um, you know, which is where the higher margin in which is where the higher margin uh, business will come from. So we don't know how the, this merger affects those plans, but uh, you know, it, the market doesn't seem to be all that impressed by it. You know, the, the, both stocks were down in uh, New York trading yesterday, and uh, you know, the, the bottom line is that uh, the market is seeing this as a Pfizer's indication that they can't organically grow their top line, so they have to buy other companies to do that. Um, and you know, even though they announced a buyback of five percent of their shares next year, it still failed to prop up the share price. So markets are really looking for organic earnings growth at the moment, and not uh, acquisition earnings growth because that could potentially add to debt. It's uh, you know, and it could uh, potentially add complications to the structure of the company moving forward. And one of the other reasons, uh, you know, it's rumored that Pfizer would like the deal was because they're moving their corporate headquarters over to. Or to to, to Ireland or the domicile of the company over to Ireland, which has a much lower tax rate than they currently pay in the U.S. So their corporate tax rate will move to about uh, 16% down from about 26% where it is currently, and that could obviously expand their margins a little bit. But the market really is seeing right through this and seeing it as a, def- a desperate attempt um, you know, to add to the company's profitability because they can't grow their top line organically. And the, sh- the, the multiples in the healthcare sector have obviously expanded quite aggressively since the end of the global financial crisis because the sector is so defensive and the cash flows are so certain. Um, you know, and in order to unwind the very high multiple that these stocks are trading at now, they need organic top line growth, which is not coming through. And, you know, the, mar- the, the market seems to be very concerned about the future of those businesses. And then, uh, Nadir, just very quickly, what's the impact of the drought on inflation? Yeah, I mean, so if we look at, obviously, the the largest uh, consumer of water in the South African economy is the agriculture sector. Um, And we've seen, obviously, the maize crop being very disappointing, the yield, um, you know, because of the, because of how the drought has bitten. So we've had to import a lot of maize into, into the South African economy. And that's obviously been, uh, is always likely to be devastating on food prices because the rand is so weak. Um, you know, the cost of importing that maize is significantly above where we could produce that maize, uh, the cost at which we could produce that maize locally. So that should pass through into food inflation over the coming months, and we could see, um, you know, inflation starting to creep upwards. That's really why Lissé and Yahoo and the Monetary Policy Committee decided to raise interest rates last week. It's really an anticipation of two things. It's an anticipation of the U.S. Federal Reserve increasing interest rates in December and also of uh, inflation starting to creep upwards because the drought and because the weak rand, um, you know, could uh, have an impact on inflation over the sort of short to medium term. So the increase in interest rates, despite the economy being so anemic, was really in anticipation of that. So, you know, that will obviously be fairly devastating for the consumer if food prices go up. But then, you know, there's another source where the drought will add to inflation, and that's really about uh, the Ministry of Public Works publishing a white paper, uh, you know, talking about changing the charging structure for how consumers use water and really starting to um, charge heavy consumers of water more for the amount of water they use and more for the amount of water that they, that they pollute. And, uh, you know, if these corporates uh, 
sort of pass those uh, costs onto the end consumer in terms of the product they're producing, that will obviously, obviously have inflationary effects as well. So uh, I think we all need to really get down on our hands and knees and pray for more rain to try and prevent this uh, drought from really biting even more.